Today's scripture reading comes from several different passages, passages in Genesis. The first one is from Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, 5 through 6, 20 through 21, and 31 through 32. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood. Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. From these descendants, the people of the coasts and islands spread out into their lands according to their clans and their nations, each with its own language. Ham's sons, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. These are Ham's sons by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands and their nations. And Shem, Japheth's older brother, also had sons. Shem was the father of all the sons of Eber. These are Shem's sons by their clans, according to their languages, in their lands and their nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records, in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. The next passage is from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let's build, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore it is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. The final passage is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody. My name's Eric. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm the pastor here at Trinity. Um, This morning is going to be the last message on uh, the series we've been in since the fall, Genesis 1 through 11. We've called this series Prologue because it is, Genesis 1 through 11 is the prologue of the Bible. And as the Bible's prologue, these chapters, they set the context, they set the trajectory and the background for everything else that follows in the Bible. Without these chapters, without these 11 chapters, Knowing them, meditating on them, returning back to them, often we will get lost. We will go awry in our understanding of the Bible and what it's all about. The foundations, the priorities, and the purposes of God are all found here. So, 
We just read a passage, a number of passages together. What is the foundation, the priority, or the purpose of God that we find in these passages that we just read all together? It may seem at first a little bit haphazard to lump all those passages from Genesis 10, 11, and 12 together. Why did we do that? Well, thank you for asking. (laughs) Because I've been waiting to show you how these passages not only give us one of God's great priorities and show us something that is absolutely central for the world, central for all of us, but also that what is here is not just for the world in general, not just one of God's great and main purposes for all of us, but specifically for us as Trinity Presbyterian Church of Orange County, our church family. What I'd like to do is begin with a survey, if I could. Um, And here is the survey. Please raise your hand if all of your grandparents' first language was or is English. Okay, we have some folks over there. Okay, reverse. Raise your hand if your grandparents' first language was not English. You guys can all look around at that. Uh, Maybe we can do this one too. Double survey. Please raise your hand if the nation you and or at least one of your parents was born in was not the United States. You can just observe that. I've been wanting to do that survey for a while. It's, It's pretty amazing and remarkable when we look around. Who... Who would have thought, any of your grandparents, those who were born here, those who speak English, and those who were not and, and, and didn't speak English, who would have thought of your grandparents, that, how would they have ever imagined that their grandsons and granddaughters would be together all in the same room together with people from places maybe they would have never thought of ever going, didn't even know maybe to think about, and in languages they would have never, ever heard. It's pretty remarkable. What does that have to do with these passages in Genesis 10, 11, and 12? Genesis 10 has a name. If you look at uh, the selections there, you can open up your Bible. It's called the Table of Nations. That's what that chapter is called. Chapter 11 has a title as well, the Tower of Babel. Maybe you're somewhat familiar with that. And the bridge between the prologue of Genesis 1 through 11 and the entirety of the rest of Scripture is Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the call of Abram. And notice that there are a few common themes that unite these texts. One is the theme of language, which is why I opened with the survey question I did. Chapter 10, verse 5, 20, and 31 speak of all these different languages that have developed all over the earth. And in the story of Babel, of course, what happens is everybody has the confusion of language. They start understanding each other, and they end with their language confused. Now, language isn't the main, main theme, I would say, of these chapters, but it's one facet of a larger theme, something bigger. And the larger theme is this. 
God's plan for all the peoples on earth. Conclusion of chapter 10, if you look at that. Tells us what the whole long list is about. There's more to the list, if you see it in your Bibles. Verse 32 says, These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records in their nations, the nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. Conclusion to the Tower of Babel says, The Lord, he confused the language of the whole earth. There's the word earth again, the entirety of the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. And then look at the conclusion to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Verse 3, And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God has a plan for all the peoples on earth. And it's here in these chapters. Throughout this message, I'm going to be using words like ethnicity and race and culture, not in very precise ways. We could talk about the precise definitions of those terms, but in broad ways to describe what makes us distinct and different from one another, from peoples from other peoples. Now, I would say our world now, it's more multicultural and diverse than maybe it's ever been. I think we could say that. Our country is more ethnically diverse than ever. It's hard to imagine the world going back, right? Going back to a time when we were all mostly and largely separated from uh, other peoples, other people's groups and ethnicities, uh, the way most of our grandparents lived, probably speaking the language that everybody around them spoke, uh, with people whose grandparents spoke those languages, etc. It's hard to imagine the world going back to that reality, right? It's here to stay, this diverse and multicultural type of world. Yet, aren't we living in a time where we also see nationalism on the rise in many countries? Where the phrase, go back to your country, is something we still see not just in our country, but it happens in other places as well, where racial and ethnic tension flares up and rises to very high levels and issues surrounding immigration, tensions rise with those as well. And when that happens, my question would be, where do we look for answers? Where do we look to make sense of what's happening all around us in this very diverse world of different peoples all coming together? When it gets hard and difficult, what is the way forward? And I believe the answer should be to look to the people of Jesus Christ, the church, especially a church like our church, should be able to show the way. I'd like to walk through these chapters in four steps here and come back to what I just said at the end of the message. Um, we're going to look at God's original plan for all peoples, for the peoples. We're going to look at the people's plan for themselves. We're going to look at God's ultimate plan for the peoples and finally our place, specifically Trinity, our place as individuals and as a church. So let's start looking at chapter 10. And you look at that and you say, another genealogy. Yeah, what I love to read. Haven't we had enough of these already in these chapters? Well, good news, this is not actually a genealogy. It's really a list, a long list. And you're like, yeah, that's just as boring and seemingly irrelevant. 
Well, hold on. Chapter 10, as I said, has become, uh, it has, it has a, a title. It's come to be called the Table of Nations. It is a bunch of names, and we see that in the Bible in different places, some of which are individual people, people's names. Some are entire people groups. And this list, it's actually very fascinating. You can go study and look into this. This is unique. There is nothing like this in all of ancient literature. There are 70 nations listed here and people groups representing all the peoples on earth. No other people bother to compile something like this, but the people of Israel did. The number 70 is uh, the, the number that represents completeness. So this is a list of all the nations on the earth. In the flow, as we've been in the story of humanity and the beginnings of humanity, as we move from Noah and his small family to people spreading out and filling the entirety of earth, this chapter is really important. It's very critical as it connects the forming and the spreading of all these different peoples to God's original plan for the peoples. And I think we have slides here. Um, what is God's original plan? Twofold. God's original plan is for the, all the peoples to be united, to be one. And that's what's being communicated here in chapter 10. If you look at verse 1, these are verses in the bulletin. These are the family records of Noah's sons, right? If you look at 32, chapter 10, these are the clans of Noah's sons according to their records and their nations. Remember that Noah's sons are the only people that existed on the earth after the flood, right? So th these are the bookends of this table of nations. And it reminds us of something very important, something simple yet mostly ignored throughout all of human history. Every people group, every nation on earth is descended from Adam and Eve and from Noah and his sons. That's what this is saying. In, in the words of one commentator, this is in the reflection quotes, the human race is united by virtue of its beginnings from one family. It really is one family. We really are one family. That's what's being said here in the scriptures. That all people and all peoples were made in the image of God and so share an equal worth and dignity and value as members of the same human race and the same human family. This is a reality. That when we look at one another, no matter what language our grandparents spoke, no matter where we come from or where we were born, we are one family. That's what's being taught here. Something we often forget, but it's fundamental. God's original plan was for the people to all be one and united. There's something else. God's original plan for the peoples is that we all be different and diverse. If you look at verse 5, 20, and 31, look at those verses with me. You see how it says the peoples spread out in their lands according to their clans and nations with their own languages. That's repeated again for each son. 20 according to their own languages, clans, lands, and nations, four things there. And again in verse 31, clans, languages, lands, and nations. Remember a fourfold description of all the different people on earth. Humanity fills the earth and becomes diverse in their lineage, in their geographic location, 
linguistically, politically, the diverse cultures, languages, and differences are a part of God's original plan for us. So when God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in Genesis 1.26 and beyond, and he repeated this again after the flood in Genesis 9, it says God made humans in his image be fruitful. I want there to be a lot of you multiply and spread out over all the earth. And chapter 10 is telling us humanity obeyed and did it. They were fruitful. It's a good thing. It's a rare thing in Genesis 1 through 11 that humanity actually did what God intended them to do. Friends, there's not a more clear statement of our purpose from God and his original plan for us than than what's happening here. He's saying, you are my image. You are made to reflect me. You are made to mirror me. That is what it means to be the image of God. In the way that we treat one another and cultivate what he has given to us for the good of others and for his glory, that's the image of God. And here's what we see is that God's plan was this was meant to happen in different and diverse ways as diverse people spread out over the entire earth. And that includes the physical appearance and languages and attributes that we all have that are different. It's not the focus here. That's a part of the diversity that was intended by God for us to image him. Now think about this. God's original plan for the people, for all people as image bearers, makes sense when we remember that God himself exists in unity and diversity. This is deep stuff, but it's, this is so good. As the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is a diversity of persons united in one being as God, existing in self-giving love and delight and regard for one another in what has been called the eternal dance of persons within the Trinity. He's not a uniformity. He is not one person. He's one God. In three persons we sing, Blessed Trinity. Herman Bavink, a great uh, scholar, said the Trinity reveals God to us as the fullness of being. God is true life. God is the eternal beauty. In God, too, there is unity and diversity. Diversity in unity. So here's what I want to pause and think about this. Ultimate reality. Before there was anything here, the most ultimate reality in the universe, God himself, is a relationship of unity and diversity. Can you think of a more solid ground, of a more beautiful basis, of a more glorious basis for the appeal to unity and diversity than this? That it reflects who God is ultimate reality and the most beautiful thing and the source of blessing and life. Friends, if humanity is to reflect and mirror and image God over all the earth, it would make sense, wouldn't it, that God's plan for all the peoples of the earth would not be uniformity, that we would all look the same and talk the same and be the same, nor division, that we would build walls between one another in hostility, but unity and diversity just like him. Now, I want to pause and give you a question to think about. If what I'm saying is true, if this is what God intends at the very beginning, will God accomplish this in the end? 
Will humanity be able to exist in this beautiful unity and diversity? Will God end up with what he wants, with what he intended all along? And just think about that. Second point, that's God's plan. For the peoples, what's the people's plan for themselves? Chapter 10, if it shows us God's original plan for the peoples of the earth. Chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel, it stands in sharp contrast to this. It shows us the people's plan for themselves. Prior to the story in Genesis, people did not handle their differences and diversity very well. If you remember some of the stories, Cain and Abel, different occupations, different offerings, different response for God, uh, before God. And Cain did not handle that difference very well. He murdered his brother Abel. That's really bad. After this, as we looked at the past few weeks, violence spread over all the earth as people started developing their different families. It became so bad, violence became so great between these clans and tribes and peoples, that's where the flood came in. God had to hit the restart button on humanity with Noah and the flood. But here you look at Genesis 11 and go, wow, people are united. That's good. But they are united against God and his plan for them. They are not united in filling the earth. They said, we don't want to be scattered over all the earth. Verse 4 of chapter 11, which is clearly directly disobeying God's purpose for humanity to fill the earth. They are united and unified in rebellion, seeking Not to rule under God, but to rule over God. The tower that they built, the Tower of Babel, this was known as a ziggurat. You can look these pictures up online. The intention of a ziggurat, building that in the ancient world, was to reach the heavens so that you could bring God and his blessing down on your terms and in your way as human beings. And God said, that's not how it works. This is a repeat of the sin in the garden. Humanity made to image God. Humanity wants to be God. To make an identity for themselves. To build a security and a name without him. Which is not possible. For human creatures. So the people's plan for themselves. Genesis 1-11. through Either is to divide over difference. Which usually leads to violence. Or at the very least distrust. Or to unify against God. To divide into violence or to unify in rebellion against God. That is the people's plan for themselves according to Genesis 1 through 11. So here in verses 8 and 9, God says, I'm going to scatter them throughout the earth, confusing the language of the whole earth. And it says from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. It's important to see this both as judgment And salvation. Judgment for uniting against him. Salvation from a life apart from him. There is no life, blessing, or name apart from the God who made us and his plan for us. This is judgment for not filling the earth. Salvation in that only when the peoples and the families and the nations fill the earth can God's saving plan be fulfilled. Can his image most clearly be mirrored and reflected and seen and enjoyed by us to his glory. There's much more to the story of Babel. But what I want you to see here is that the scattering over all the earth was judgment at the same time 
It is what God planned and intended for all along. Following this theme, let's look at chapter 12. We have God's original plan for the peoples in chapter 10, this table of nations, the people's plan for themselves in chapter 11, and now we see God's ultimate plan for the peoples in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, which is God saying to one man, Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house, go from your people, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So far, I've tried to establish for you that chapters 10 and 11 give us simple but important point, and that's this. God knows. God cares. And God has a plan for all nations and all peoples of the earth. He wants his earth filled with diverse people. But everything that follows in chapter 11, verse 10, we have, it's not here in the bulletin. It narrows everything down to one people, one person, Abram and his wife Sarah, one couple. But it does not mean that God is forgetting all the peoples because verse 3 tells us this. It is through this one person, one couple, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's ultimate plan for the peoples is this. All the peoples will be blessed through Abraham. At first it sounds like a flattening, kind of a uniformity kind of thing going on until you see the full picture of what's happening here. There is something very important here that's easy to miss. If you were just to look at the table of nations in the list in Genesis 10, if you were to study it, maybe some of you are like, I'm going to go study this. This is so exciting and fascinating. Maybe, maybe one person out there. What you'll see as you, as you dissect the list is you'll notice something, and that is, where's Israel? Where, where are they why is their name not on the table of nations in their holy book? Hmm. Usually when people groups map the world, right? And tell the story of their place in the world, our place in the world, they put themselves right in the center of the map. Most maps that we look at today, right? Who's in the center? Somehow Europe got in the center, right? Well, because they... Wanted the map to be like that. Of course the world revolves around their continent. But everybody does that. What kind of people leaves themselves off the map in their own book? And the story being told here is that Israel comes out of the nations just like everyone else. Abram is just there among all the nations. And God says, go out. From your land, your relatives, your father's house. Go out from your people. I will bless. I will make your name great. I will make you into a great nation. I will, I will, I will, I will do all this and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. In sharp contrast to Babel where the people said, let us make a name. Let us build our way to heaven. And probably Abram is thinking, why me? 
Here's the principle, and I have a slide for this as well. Can I get a nod that that slide is, my TV's off? Okay. And it's this. God will use a people who knows they owe everything to his grace, that their name and identity is from him alone, that their place in God's plan is not because they are better than, superior than, more special than, or more deserving than any other people. Through a people like this, God can restore all peoples to the blessing he created us to live in. Which means then, to receive that blessing, all peoples must humble themselves, putting aside any pride in their name, any pride in what makes them different and distinct, i.e. better, superior, more important than other people, and receive a new name from God. Now, God honors those specific names those diversities that make us who we are, it's in the book. It's in his book, chapter 10. The book of the people of Abraham said, these people also are made in the image of God. But the curse of division, the scattering and the disunity is only reversed when all people will humble themselves, confess their pride and their prejudice, and the way that they see their name is better than others and come in desperate need of grace. Which brings us to our place in God's plan for the peoples. Jesus came to end the curse of human division rooted in human pride. We saw this earlier in the liturgy in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at that again. Jesus came to end the curse in order that he might bring the blessing that was promised to Abraham. This was the purpose of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, the son of Abraham. Galatians 3.14 says it like this. Yeah, let's go to that. The purpose, there it is, of Jesus taking the curse for us was that the blessing of Abraham, Genesis 12, would come to the Gentiles, all the peoples of the earth, by Christ Jesus, so that we could receive, by grace, the promised spirit through faith. Paul is saying that God's blessing of the diverse nations scattered throughout the earth promised to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and is expressed and is experienced in the church. This people who come to faith in Jesus Christ, they are united by faith in him. If you grew up in the church, I don't know if we sing this song anymore. Maybe we should start singing it, but there was a song. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord right on. If you didn't grow up in church, you're like, these people are weird. So we're singing this song here in the United States of America. Some of you maybe have Jewish heritage, which would be fantastic, but most of us don't. And we say, my father is Abraham, right arm, left arm, and we're celebrating and praising God for that. 
if this is true, that my primary name and family and identity is not found in the language and the land and the nation I was raised in. It's a name, it's in a name I've been given by grace, just like Abraham. It changes how I relate to all the peoples of the earth. Back to Ephesians chapter 2. You can put that slide up. This was in our liturgy earlier. Jesus died, my Christian friends, to create one new humanity. If you don't know this and you are a Christian, you must know this. And so I hope to be very clear. He did not die to improve upon the old or to give new techniques or advice or strategies to the old humanity. From Genesis 10 onward, it became clear and new humanity is needed. Like in the days of Noah, when God said, we need to start with a new humanity. Well, again, because of the division and the hatred and the strife and the wars and the violence and the peoples making their own plans for themselves, we see the old humanity misunderstood and abused its diversity, creating hierarchies, creating stories and narratives that said, there is a narrative here of racial or ethnic difference. And very, very easily and quickly, those narratives become narratives of ethnic or racial or national hierarchy, along which you can create a spectrum which some are higher and better and more advanced than others who are lower and less valuable. The old humanity creates hostility and dividing walls because they lost the narrative from the prologue of the scriptures. This one new man, this one new humanity, we are told here in this text, is reconciled in his body. Do you see that? Both to God in one body through the cross. This means a new humanity is not a concept to think about. It's not an idea to meditate on or an invisible ideal. It is a physical, bodily reality involving our bodies with their diverse colors and features, our tongues and the languages they speak, the food we eat, everything, unity and diversity in the body of Christ and the diversity of gifts we give and receive from one another. Now let me ask again. What God intends at the beginning, will he accomplish in the end? Will God end up with what he wants and what he intended all along? Did he keep his promise to Abraham? The answer according to Christianity, is yes. Revelation chapter 5 says, this is the destiny of the peoples of the earth. A vision of the new creation. Revelation 5 says, in a scene of worship, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals 
because you were slaughtered, speaking of Jesus, and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Of course, this is repeated in Genesis 7-9. That's how we opened our service. Every tribe, language, people, and nation. A number that is impossible to count will be the people of God forever and ever. This is a fourfold formula. Do you see it here? Tribe, language, people, nation. It is in parallel to the fourfold formula in Genesis chapter 10. And so, as one scholar says, very, very simply and straightforwardly, God desires a multicultural body of Christ from the very start. And I will add, it is what he will accomplish in the end. So just this January, I took a class from my Doctor of Ministry program. And this wasn't the main focus of the class, but we talked about this. And for me, the light bulb went on. That this is not just what we end up with in Scripture here in Revelation 7 as God sends his people out to all nations and cares about all nations and peoples. But this is what God wanted and intended all along. I'd never, I'd never seen it from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. This was the plan. The image of God expressed in all its beauty and glory through the, the diversity of humanity spread across the world and all the peoples of the earth and brought together in this beauty of unity and diversity. This is plan A. Do we have that slide? Plan A. When our plan A doesn't work out as human beings, we go to plan B and C, etc. That's not what we see in the scriptures for God. This was God's plan A. A ethnically diverse people united in worship, diversely reflecting the glory, beauty, and love of our triune God in the new creation forever. What does that mean for us right now? A few things. Hopefully we can talk a lot about this in the months and weeks and years to come, more and more. It means we don't simply reflect, reflect the diversity of our community. I'm talking right now to us, Trinity. It's a beautiful thing when we, we look around this room and say, look, it's, this is the diversity of the community we live in here in Orange County, a very diverse place. We reflect that diversity. That's good and that is amazing. That's not it. It's not simply that we enjoy the diversity we have here and we enjoy each other's cuisine and we hear each other's story and we enjoy it and we are glad that we are a diverse community. But it means that even more so we work to be, we strive to be out of obedience because we've been given grace, because our trust is in Jesus and we know he's building a new humanity, that we be a demonstration of ethnic and racial reconciliation. That we don't see it as accidental or incidental. You know, that so many of us raised our hands for different questions. We say, wow, what a diverse place we are, we are here. What a diverse church we are in. But see that God has gathered us in his providence as a church. 
that looks something like the church he's always wanted and the church we will all be a part of in the end. There's more we could say, but I think that is best worked out in our community as we talk about this, pray through this, and ask the question, what does that look like? What does that look like if we were the church where people would come when they're struggling with all the strife, with the dividing walls of hostility that still exists, and say, maybe, maybe this church can help. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that there is a story for what we all see and experience in our world that is so diverse. It's people that look and think and speak different, all filling this earth, that there is a story, that there is a plan, and that it is such an incredible plan that we'd find our way to being able to more fully image and glorify and reflect your beauty, your unity and diversity and the way that we do that with one another. We know it only happens when our pride is dealt with, when we are humbled to remember and to receive that our primary name and identity comes from you alone. Thank you for what you are doing and have done here at our church. And we pray that we'd celebrate this, this plan that you have in the beginnings of the accomplishment of this plan, even here in our church family, and we'd continue to strive and move forward and work together in grace, even when it's difficult to most fully express, to most fully be a sign of the power of Jesus Christ, the power to break down hostility, dividing walls, and bring about something new and beautiful and glorious. Would you do that more and more in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.